Brought to you by DKP and Code Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome to the new year of Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata. Happy New Year, Tony. Happy New Year, Michael. Good to be back. What did you get up to? Uh, More I, bike riding? Yeah, a lot of bike riding. How many Ks? I did, uh, I did that Rafa 500 in one week. So I did uh, over 522 Ks in a week. Um, Ridiculous. Yeah, it is, it is. But uh, I ate a lot and burned it off a lot. So uh, it, was, it was good. It was, the weather was fantastic. Uh, it was nice, uh, nice getting out on the bike and, and watching the football. Talking plenty of football. That's one of the things we wanted to touch on uh, in our show today. We've got a big show lined up, as always. Uh, Tony Sage, the chairman of uh, Perth Glory Football Club, uh, will be joining us, as will uh, Richard Bayliss, who's heading up the Optus uh, TV uh, coverage, and he'll talk to us about the World Cup and uh, the English Premier League rights and just how that's uh, panned out for Optus. It was a, a controversial move for when it occurred and Optus taking away the EPL rights from Fox Sports, but uh, it's uh, over a year down the track now and it'll uh, be interesting to see, talking to uh, to Rich about how that's all panned out. Yeah, I'm uh, still struggling with it. Um, it was great just turning on the TV and, and watching it. Now you've got to get your iPad out or your iPhone and watch it and yeah. well obviously you're not an Optus customer because if you're an Optus customer you can buy the box for yeah, 5 I, bucks a month yeah, and switch it on your TV. No, I do have I do have the um the app and I do have a uh, a SIM card Optus SIM card just a SIM card which I bought just so to watch it but I I don't get to it. So uh but uh yeah but then you have got one box two boxes but anyway it's the uh, it's the way it is and um yeah I need to uh, probably uh now, Rich, Rich will sort it out for yeah. you today. Um, just on the summer of football, uh, one of the positive things we've seen from the A-League this year, I love this week uh, having uh, sit down on the sofa every night and uh, be able to watch a game, uh, especially this week. It's coming thick and fast yeah. and uh, great to see. And one of the first positive signs of promotion we've seen from the FFA this season. Yeah, 25 games in uh, 25 days. And uh, there's a game going on right now. Um, and then I can't wait for the uh, the one afterwards as well. So, um, yeah, sit back and, and watch it. And you're right, it's, it's just great to... Uh, to watch uh, live football um, this time of the year. And it seems to be working with the crowds as well. Uh, this time of year, a lot of people are on holidays. Kids are uh, on school holidays as well. The crowd in the F3 derby was uh, a proof point in that. Uh, 13,000 attended. The weather wasn't great in Newcastle, but a really strong crowd there. No, it was an excellent crowd last night. And uh, and even Sydney got a, a, you know, over 18,000 um, last uh, last game as well at home. So, yeah, it's, it's a great time of the year. Kids free. You know, it says something about that. Um, there's no school and, uh, you know, people are getting out and about in summer. It's fantastic. Well done to the FFA. They deserve a pat on the back for that. Uh, we give them uh, plenty of slaps, so uh, well done on that one. I want to talk to you about Wellington Phoenix. You mentioned uh, their inaction tonight against Melbourne Victory, Tony, but... Uh, uh, last season, a lot of conversation around whether Wellington should remain in the competition. They've been embroiled in more controversy this season. Their crowd numbers are down. Uh, I mean, that's consistent across the league, so we can't single them out solely on that point. But they're just the bottom of the table. They've won one game uh, for the season. Uh, they're not really adding much to the competition. They've had another uh, controversy with uh, Dario and Rado Vidicic walking out of the club. Uh, uh, a lot of mud being thrown there by both parties. Uh, after that occurred 
Should do they deserve? You're the former CEO of the Wellington Phoenix, so you're qualified to to comment on this. Should they be in the competition in the long term? Yeah, look, it's uh, it saddens me to see what's happening there. It's um, it's a disgrace, to be honest. Um, you know, when we started it, you know, I was there with Ricky and Terry back in 2007, 10 years ago. You know, and yes, it was new, and we got great crowds. Um, you know, it took us a little while to get going, but uh, the way things are turning out there, it's uh, you know, it's, it is a debacle. And uh, I, I know I'm close to some of the media there as well, and um, they need to be harder on, on the club. I don't think the club's doing enough. Um, and uh, you know, they, they took the license off Terry um, from a financial point of view. I can you know relate to that, um, but I don't think they've done enough. And uh, and I was right in there to batting for them to save the Phoenix, save the Knicks, as were a lot of club chairmen, a lot of fans, because they you know, they do add, but they need to uh, pull their finger out and lift, otherwise, um, you know, they need to go. But you know you know the market better than, than most people uh, here following the A-League. Their crowds uh, are down. The, it's a huge stadium they play in. Is it the right venue for them? Should they, should the they move venue. Should they move to, to another stadium? Look, it's the only venue in um, in Wellington. Um, you know, they've, they've taken games around New Zealand, um, but uh, yeah, look, the, the venue's okay. I mean, they they pack out one side. If you get ten, eleven thousand, it's a good good noise. The Yellow Fever's a great fan base. Um, the surface is amazing. The, the you know the facilities are very very good, and a lot of teams enjoy going there. But um, as a club, as a whole. Um, you know, from from Rob Morrison to David Dome, um, right through, they need to really look at it and um, and 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 try and improve what's happening there. As um, you know, I know they've brought in, you know, they brought in Guy Finkler. They, they've got a good squad, Michael. They've got a very very good squad, but um, you know, it's all disintegrated. You know, Dario's left, Finkler's left. Um, They've they've been other players. Ali Abbas has been told to leave the club as well, and um, you know it's just just not 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 right. And um, I think uh, you know winning one game, how long can the current coach last as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. Uh, Nathan Burns has, has been brought in, which is a, a positive uh, for the A League and, and for the Wellington Phoenix. But uh, the FFA did set some criteria around them uh, if they were to keep their their long term license and. Uh, and they really haven't stepped up this this season. Well, they're last in memberships, they're last in crowd attendance, they're last on the ladder. So Say uh, no more. begs the question: Should we have another uh, Australian team in the competition rather than a than a New Zealand-based team? Well, I think first and foremost we need to expand. So if we kick one out and get one in, and we're back to square one. So they need they need to lift. They should be still still stay there but um, they need to um, have a good hard look at themselves, the old saying. All right. Uh, great to, uh, to get your views on that. We'd love to hear your thoughts on social media as well. Make sure you, uh, you tweet us uh, through the show and uh, we'll uh, love to hear your thoughts and uh, we'll read them back uh, uh, throughout the show and, and on next week's program as well. But uh, coming up after the break, Tony Sage, Chairman of the Perth Glory Football Club. Here comes the money. Here we go. Brought to you by DKP and Co Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome. 
Welcome back to the Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you. And uh, joining us is another Tony, chairman of the Perth Glory Football Club, Tony Sage. Thanks for joining us, Tony. No problems at all, guys. Firstly, we'll ask you about uh, last night and the recent run of uh, form of your team on the park. What's the chairman make of it all? Oh, extremely disappointed, obviously. Uh, we don't, it's not where we plan to be at this uh, time of the season. And, uh, you know, the boys uh, know that uh, a lot of hard work's got to be done in the, the next 13 games to, to have any chance of finals football. But, uh, you know, extremely disappointed is, is, the, uh, is the initial reaction. Kenny Lowe's been one of the, the longest-standing coaches at Glory from memory, I think, uh, in the A-League at least. Uh, how's he going, and is he under any pressure? Oh, he's under a lot of pressure with himself mainly. Look, um, when we set out for this season, we set uh, targets. Obviously, we haven't met any of those uh, targets, uh, and uh, but we've had uh, uh, a lot of excuses, and uh, I don't like using excuses, but when you can't get your first 11 on the pitch, I think he's had them once all season. Uh, 78 games now we've missed through injury this year. I think the next highest is Brisbane with about 55, and, and you see where they are on the ladder as well. So it doesn't go well, but look, I'm not putting any pressure on Kenny. I know what uh, he's been trying to achieve. I know exactly... Uh, the targets that we set, and I understand the reasons why we haven't hit those targets. One of the targets you have been hitting uh, is uh, crowd figures and memberships, and I know Peter Philopoulos has been there a little while now, but uh, from that side of things, uh, it looks as though it's all uh, travelling and going well at Perth. Yeah, look, it, it is. I mean, if you ask uh, the Eagles and Dockers in the AFL, they've had a significant drop-off in corporate memberships because of the downturn in our economy, but we've... Uh, We've hit our uh, sponsorship targets. We've hit our corporate sales targets. We've, uh, we're about next week to hit uh, record membership uh, in the A-League for, for Perth Glory. Um, so everything off the pitch uh, is looking good. Uh, crowd numbers this year, you take out, uh, uh, obviously, the a Tuesday night crowd. I think um, if you take out the derbies from Sydney and Melbourne, we're, we're doing quite well uh, compared against some of the bigger clubs. I know Western Sydney don't have a, a great record at the moment because of their shifting uh, venues, but uh, that's pretty good for us over here in the West, I think. No, your crowds are um, excellent, Tony, and um, you know, you're know you probably one of the, the only club that um, crowds have increased um, because everyone else has sort of um, decreased. But uh, just going back to your injuries, I mean... I know you've uh, struggled a lot with injuries. What is it? Is it, is it your training pitch? Is it your medical staff? There must be something... Travel. Travel? I don't know. Yeah, look, look. Let, let's let's break it up. Last season, we were one game away from the grand final. So we got exactly the same coaching staff, medical staff, and training facility. So the only difference this year has been uh, nine out of the first 13 away. And some of those away trips have been the hardest ones. Everyone thinks Newcastle's a pretty easy trip, but we've got to travel four and a half hours to then get on a bus for another three hours. That's worse than going to Wellington, because at least we get a break in Melbourne or Sydney going across the ditch. So that one is our worst trip. So we've done the Wellington trip, we've done the Newcastle trip in that first nine weeks. And if you look at our injuries, four of them happened after the Wellington trip, which was straight after the, the, the Newcastle trip. So, you know, our medical staff has pinpointed the time that uh, where, where it happened. Uh, it wasn't enough recovery time. We won't do that again, obviously. But I'm hoping the FFA has learned from this lesson and not give us nine, especially the most travelled team in the comp, nine away out of the first 13 ever again. Tony, was that, was that done because your um, stadium was unavailable or was this just fixturing by the it, FFA? It, it, was, it, 
Now, people in the East don't like me saying this. It was done to fit in the derbies, et cetera, et cetera, over there. Um, they didn't think it was. We, we complained vigorously, not publicly. Mm. Next year we'll do it publicly. We did it behind the scenes. We asked them four or five times to, to make it one less, to make it um, eight out of the first 13. Uh, they, they just wouldn't relent. Uh, they said it had to be this way. But our stadium's been, uh, I think there was only one game, uh, which was the McCartney concert that was uh, unavailable. Yeah, look, fixturing's been an issue across all clubs. Um, everyone's complaining about the way it's been, you know, the, the fixtures have been handled. Uh, you know, Thursday night games, you know, you said you had a Tuesday night games, away games, you know, three away games in a row for some, some clubs as well. So, yeah, yeah look, I know it's a, it's a tough um, tough ask on, on clubs and, um, you know, when careers and jobs and everything on the line, um, you know, then I think there needs to be more uh, input. And, and I know that every club has input. Uh, I know that you all sit down and plan the games you want, the home games, the away games, the big fixtures. To be honest, it just gets thrown out and then they do what they want, correct? Yeah, exactly right. And look, look, the owners have got a lot of complaints. I don't want to make this about uh, the clubs against the FFA, but um, the the one thing that's been the biggest bugbear for all the clubs, uh, obviously, um, let's forget politics, is the lack of uh, promotion of the game. Uh, from the FFA, um, and, and, and that's been the biggest point. And a lot of the crowd numbers that you do see in some markets is because of that lack of promotion. I mean, we're a professional league. We're, we're supposed to be the ultimate football competition uh, in the summer months. And, look, in Perth, I can't speak for Melbourne market or the Adelaide market or the Sydney market, but I haven't seen one advertisement on free-to-air TV or on radio for an A-League game here in Perth. And I think that is needs to be looked at and I think it's uh, come from the top and whether they've got money or not it's, it's not the point they should have set aside money for, for the promotion of the game we're getting eaten alive by the big bash yeah look I think um, you know, you're right I think everyone's saying the, um, the same thing um, I read the other other day that you're considering maybe moving some games away from NIB to, um, to the new stadium there yeah, look, uh, I'm taking heart from the Wildcats. The Wildcats had a 5,000-seat venue, and they only got three and a half out there every game. They moved to the brand-new Perth Arena, and their crowds shot up to 13, and they've averaged about 12 since. So, look, I think you build a good stadium, people will come. It's supposed to be. I've seen it in the build. I haven't seen an event there yet. I'm going uh, in, a, in about a month's time. Uh, it's supposed to be state-of-the-art, and... I want to give our football fans an opportunity. So we put out on our website and our social media vote. It's so far 60-40 to move one game this year. Uh, it looks like it'll be the Central Coast game uh, on March 10 because they've got a double header of NRL at that stadium, so it's already configured for the rectangle sport and we won't have to pay any extra. So we've asked our fans, 60% say yes. It's now just up to us and the FFA and obviously Central Coast to come to an arrangement to move it one day. Yeah, look, so I'm we'll a, see if that comes up. I'm a member of Perth Glory, and I think I voted no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it makes sense. Um, the old, uh, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, I, yeah. And yeah. Look, I, I've been out there, and it looks sensational. Whether it looks good, but I, I, everyone said, oh, 10,000 people in the 60,000. I think you'll get a lot of onlookers to come and have a look. I reckon we'll get 25,000 to that game, just for people wanting to have a look. The only other game that will be there is cricket, and NRL beforehand, so before the AFL starts. So I think a lot of people will come and look and have a sticky beak. So I think we might get 25,000, yeah. where we'll probably only get nine or ten at NIB. 
And you can't uh, criticise a, a team uh, and a club for uh, having ambition and uh, good on you for, for doing it. And as you said, in, in previous years, we've seen grand finals uh, played in, in big stadiums in Perth and uh, been able to fill them. So if you build it yeah. up as a marquee occasion, then I have no doubt you'll get a, a bigger crowd. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're, we're looking at. And you've got a game against Chelsea coming up too uh, this year. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's uh, exciting uh, for everyone involved with the club. <laughs> we've got we're, we're, virtually every 23 will want to play that game uh, that, on our squad at the time. So, but yeah, we don't know what that squad's going to look like. I think we've got just like every other A uh, League club's got about three quarters of our squad up for uh, renewal. I think ours is about 60 percent. So it'll be maybe a big turnover. Just depends on what happens in the next uh, half of the season. We've got a lot of our injured players coming back. You would have seen Neville played with a broken toe, played 90 minutes after missing eight weeks. That's because Mills um, uh, hurt his neck in the warm-up and Lowry didn't pull up after training the day before. Um, so, you know, Kenny had to reshuffle. We had a 16-year-old kid that came on. Um, he's not even on the team sheet. He wasn't uh, young Scott. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we have hit the... No, I wouldn't say bottom of the barrel. That's no no respect for the player that came on but uh, we didn't have many left over and if you would have seen Walker who came from uh, the MPL, had to play left back never played left back in his life And you think City's two goals, where it came from it came from the left back position so they did target us um, but I thought we did alright that uh, thing but we've got uh, 14 games now, 13 games left to improve ourselves We've seen you finish strongly in previous seasons and uh, given you've got a lot of your uh, last remaining games at home, uh, that's a, a real possibility. I want to talk to you about... I know you said you didn't want to make this about uh, clubs and versus uh, chairman versus the FFA, but you've been one that's been around a long time, longer than most, and uh, you've, you've poured a lot of money into the club and I know you don't want to make it about uh, how much money you've lost and, and uh, how much money other clubs have lost, but the fact remains that uh, the current model, a lot of the club owners and club chairman uh, are pouring a lot of money in and, and not getting uh, the reward that uh, they thought they would when they first got involved in the uh, in, in, in the sport. So we're at a, a, a juncture now where the FIFA have come in and have said we, we need to take a look closer at things. So we've spoken to Greg Griffith on the program and, and he's made his view very clear. We'd love to get your thoughts on, on where it's all at and, uh, and where you'd like to see things progress. Oh, look, it's got to be an independent A-League, and I was very uh, heartened by what Stephen Lowy said some 12 months ago about that. But what they believe is an independent A-League and what the owners believe is an independent A-League is the, is the sticking point. Uh, they haven't put their model forward yet. Uh, we've discussed it as 10 owners, uh, all unanimous, uh, what our format would look like. It would be similar to the EPL, but not quite as restrictive uh, as the EPL model. But uh, that's the one that I would like to see... Uh, put forward. Look, I think we're a long, long way from that. I think the FFA has done a, a terrible job over the last two or three years. Uh, we did need 12 teams starting next season. I can't see that happening now. Uh, I think it's almost impossible. You can't get a club up from January to start in October. Um, even the Wanderers had a lot longer time than that. Um, but we do need 12 teams next year and 14 the teams the year after. So that's not going to happen now, and that's because of the dilly dallying of the uh, of the FFA, um, and, you know, it, it, it's just... Uh, it, look, it's been farcical, to, to put it uh, bluntly, uh, the way they've handled everything in the last 12 to 18 months. It, and it just seems to be dragging on. We had the, the extraordinary general meeting in November. We still really haven't had a resolution from there. Have 
the FFA or FIFA been in touch with the, the chairman as to next steps and, and how quickly that might occur? No, I think what the next step will be is the chairman will have to write to the FIFA and say, look, you know, this has dragged on since November 30. Everyone's in limbo. Uh, everyone knows what needs to be done. Um, and, and I think you guys in the media need to know what's been needs to be done. You know, playing uh, the 10-team competition is not exciting for the fans anymore. Everyone, it's been done to death for 12 seasons, uh, forgetting the Gold Coast and, and North Sydney, uh, Northern uh, Queensland, North Queensland, for example. But yeah. Yeah, forget those two, but, you know, it's just same old, same old. And, you know, we're playing one team twice in four weeks. So we were in Brisbane a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, now we've played them next week. It's just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, things have to change for the good of the game. Now, I've been in this thing for 11 years. I think I'm the longest-serving chairman. Mm. Um, just to give you some numbers, I've pumped in $130 million into glory uh, in 10, 10, 11 years. Uh, I've reaped back about 90-something in corporate sales memberships and that, so my loss is a, a loss, but that's how much I've put into the sport. So, you know, I'm paying wages, I'm paying for the venue hire, so all the spin-offs on top of that. Uh, for example, Football West, they put in $3 million a year, so that's $36 million. So I've put in 120, they put in 36. Uh, they get one full vote on the FFA Congress, I get one-tenth of one vote. Uh, it's not right. It just doesn't make any sense in any metric that you look at. Uh, so if you combine times my club by 10, but some of the um, some of the numbers are bigger with Melbourne Victory and Sydney, for example, but just times my club by 10, that's a $1.2 billion the owners have put in to this league. Forget what we reap back, that's what we put in. Okay, And the numbers are staggering when you look at it in those terms, but that's what we've done. Okay, We've reaped money back in, in those things, but the losses are still about $300 million in, in, uh, in combined in those 10, 11 years. Extraordinary numbers. And uh, as you said, I think we're all in agreement that uh, things need to progress and, uh, and we need change. And uh, you're absolutely right about next season. Uh, we do need expansion, but given the timeframes, it doesn't look like uh, it will happen. What's your view on expanding the league and, and the markets? Because Perth's come up in conversation, perhaps not in the first tranche, but perhaps further down the track when we look at 14. Can Perth sustain a second club? No, it can't. It can't. Now, expansion is a... Is a can you hear me now? I, I, you yeah. were breaking up before. Yeah, yeah. we got you. Uh, expansion, look, there's lots of different views from owners, but I think we've got to go have a team in... Uh, everyone laughs at me. Singapore, Jakarta, uh, Malaysia. That's 300 million more eyeballs onto the game. The television numbers will be huge. What's the use of having one, another one in Sydney or another one in Melbourne... You know, I can't see the point. You're not going to get attract many more eyeballs to the game by having one team in KL, one team in Singapore, one team in Jakarta, or one team in Hong Kong. Bring that a little Asian market here, 300 million more eyeballs. I think we treble the um, uh, the TV money, and that is beneficial to everyone. That's my view only. Uh, I'm the only owner that says that, but that's the vision I have for the A League. And it shouldn't be scoffed at because, I mean, obviously from a geographical point of view, you're a lot closer to, to those on the eastern seaboard, but uh, uh, you're right in terms of uh, exposure and, and, and television audience. Would the AFC, is that it, uh, something you've discussed with the Asian Football Confederation? What would uh, their view of, of that be? I've had informal conversations only, but uh, I don't think there'll be a big obstacle as long as the associations in those countries agree to it. 
And I know, in for a fact, just one, Malaysia, would push so hard to be a part of the A-League. Yeah, I mean, we could, it could work. You know, you could play, you know, two games over there away and make it a yeah. sort of a week trip. Um, well, I've already got permission from the FFA, this might be breaking news, to play one game away from NIB next season uh, in Asia if I can secure a, a team that want, would want to play against Glory up there. That's just one home game uh, that we'll give up and play either in Singapore or KL. But uh, that's uh, news for next year. Uh, it uh, hasn't been finalised yet, but that's the wish, and I've got the tick of approval from the FFA. Look, we're, we're lucky as a sport that it's a global sport and, um, you know, we're in the Asian Confederation, so it's, it's not as bad an idea, Tony, and uh, I know you probably have to uh, jump a few uh, hurdles to get it, but it's, um, you know, throw it out there, why not? And that's what we need. We need uh, big thinking, we need strategic ideas that are going to lift the game uh, to another level, and uh, I think that's what's been lacking over the last few years uh, to to the Tonys. Uh, we just have had more of the same and uh, we, we need to have these conversations and uh, good on you Tony for, for uh, putting it out there. I think it's uh, something worth exploring and let's hope the FFA and, and FIFA and whoever else is in charge in the next few weeks uh, is open to those sorts of conversations. Yeah, they, they need to be. Well, we thank you very much for joining us uh, on the line. Uh, it's been an insightful conversation and we appreciate your time and appreciate everything you've done for, for Perth Glory and uh, our code and uh, we uh, continue to uh, to support you and uh, in your good fight. Thanks for joining us, Tony. No problem. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks, Bye-bye. Tony. Tony Sage from the Perth Glory, the chairman of the Perth Glory Football Club, joining us on the Football Bosses. We'll be back with plenty more after this short break. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Code Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi, Tony Pinata with you, and uh, another boss joins us now. Tony, the boss of Optus TV. Well, not exactly, but he's in charge of everything that goes on air uh, at Optus these days. Uh, Richard Bayliss, who's the executive producer of football and uh, and a presenter, does a fine job. Rich, thanks for joining us. G'day, Zaffa. G'day, Tony. Yeah, I walk around like I'm the boss, but I wouldn't quite say that, mate. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's half the uh, half the battle, mate. One of the things that Tony needs help with is uh, just trying to get his Optus uh, going. He says he's got his SIM card and he's got his mobile phone, but he hasn't got his little box so he can watch it on his big screen. We'll have to help him out there, Rich. Yeah, I'll help you out after the show. No, <laughs> uh, love <laughs> right, we're talking about it at the start of the program, and obviously it was a huge news when when Optus won the rights to the English Premier League, and and a lot of customers. Uh, when you look at the media coverage, uh, when the deal was announced, uh, uh, there was a fair bit of animosity towards Optus. Talk to us about uh, you know the initial stages and how that's gone for you, and and how you've managed to turn that around. Yeah, well, I um, I guess first of all, Zap, as I understand that initial frustration and. And I was at uh, Fox Sports with yourself at the time, actually. So, you know, there was a bit of confusion from even within within the industry as to what exactly that would mean. So once I came over personally to Optus, it was a, a fact-finding mission very much for myself as well on a personal level. And, you know, I think, um, I think it's gone well on the whole. I think a lot of negative sentiment sort of comes from the unknown. And I think, you know, in Australia, we've always been a little bit spoiled with things like, you know, anti-siphoning and, and sport being on free-to-air and, 
and by and large, you know, free for a lot of the time, which is um, not necessarily how it's worked in most corners of the world. So, you know, subscription TV, um, you could argue, isn't overly successful um, in Australia. Um, and I guess this is an extension of that model where you pay for, for sport. Of course, Premier League has always been on subscription TV here in, in Australia for certainly the last two, two decades. But, you know, there was a little bit of uh, animosity or animosity or pushback from the fact that you would have to, to go and get a new platform to watch the Premier League and one which, you know, everybody knew Optus was a telco, but how on earth were they to, to broadcast and stream the Premier League? And, you know, admittedly, Optus will be the first to say that there were some teething issues and it wasn't all smooth sailing for the first um, season and, and a little bit beyond. But I would say on the whole, it's been very successful. The numbers sort of indicate that. And, and more importantly, I think for us is that People that watch it and people that have consumed it and, and understand what we do love it. And, you know, we're, we're offering so much more than, than has been offered before, not just the live games, but everything around it as well. It's a 24-7 offering of the Premier League. And um, I think as this becomes more and more the norm over the next few years in terms of how broadcasting and digital rights and digital streaming works, um, you know, I think Optus will sort of stand out as, as, uh, as a successful project in the first you know, company to go into it successfully. Something we talk about a lot here on this program is is the business of sport, obviously. And uh, when you look at the, the global trends and and you look at the the, the best example, I suppose, of uh, uh, a traditional telco uh, getting involved is is BT in the UK and and the experience they've had there uh, taking the rights of uh, B Sky B, who were uh, obviously the huge player in in the UK, which uh, shook that marketplace up uh, a much bigger marketplace as well. Yeah, that is a really interesting example because, in essence, you know, BT were coming from, you know, a, a, another business stream, if you like, and, and going into broadcasting. Their model slightly different in that they had, you know, a channel that essentially, if you have Sky in the UK, you can still watch BT over the Sky platform and on the Virgin platform as well. Uh, but in essence, it's very similar. And if you think about it as well, like in the UK, anyone that's been over there to try to watch football on TV, well, know how difficult it is because it's split over sort of two or three networks and not every game is televised. Um, so here, you know, we're actually quite spoiled and have been for quite a while in that every single match of the Premier League um, is televised live. Um, so it's a, it's a sort of a different proposition. And, and we actually hear a lot of uh, feedback from people that have come from the UK that have experienced, you know, BBC, uh, ITV, uh, BT Sport, Sky, etc., um, who are blown away by what you can actually get here in Australia being every game live. So, yeah, we don't have the time zone ideally as we'd like it for European football, but, um, you know, there are positives to, to the coverage here as well. And I think more and more over the next few years you'll see more telcos sort of pivot or transition into broadcasting because, unfortunately, that's kind of the way their world is going. They have to adapt and, and offer something different. Yeah, Richard, I've... Um I suppose when it sort of first came out, what I do love about it is, you know, if you do miss some games, you've got that highlights package um, on your on your app, on your iPad, and you can pick and choose, and um, it does give you that, I suppose, that freedom um, as a um, consumer to uh, actually, you know, choose the games you want to watch, the highlights, everything like that. So that's that's one one sort of uh, positive uh, thing. And uh, um, you, you, what else is sort of coming out now for um, for Optus Sport in terms of the uh, Premier League? Um, any other, um, I suppose, uh, big things coming out? Yeah, I'm pretty confident, Tony, that we'll have, um, you know, building blocks sort of... I know they're happening behind the scenes. You know, we don't want to stop with the Premier League and we don't want to stop with the World Cup. You know, we want to improve on those properties. We want to make sure the user experience for Premier League, you know, 
in essence, is, is always improving. You know, those highlights you mentioned, we want to add more shows. We want to make it easier for the viewers. We want to give them more options across all different platforms. Uh, we want to make it a great experience on not only the small screen, but also on TV as well, like through the Fetch um, box, through you know Chromecast. We're trying to improve our properties as they are at the moment, while in the background we're also trying to add more. And I know that Optusport won't stop where it is. Um, you know, obviously, there'll be a hope and expectation within Optus that they do renew the Premier League rights and, and do a much bigger and better job on it the next time around, um, that we do a great job production-wise and broadcast-wise on the World Cup. And from there as well, you know, we want to add more sport and, and, and offer more to not only Optus customers, but people that might come on board for the sport and entertainment um, in sort of, in essence, by themselves, which we, we hope to offer at some point as well. So, um, yeah, it's about building on what we've done well and, and also adding more when we can. One frustrating thing, Richard, and I know is that I've got to turn off all my notifications <laughs> um, because there's that 30-second streaming um, delay and um, plenty of times I've forgotten to go and, you know, they score a goal and go, okay, what's coming up? Um, can we, you know, I know that, I know Fox as well, they've got that, there's a three seconds delay and sometimes they're really quick with those notifications. But, uh, yeah, why, why, a lot of questions, why is there 30 seconds delay? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one, that one, because, you know, I know some people sort of say, oh, well, maybe I won't I won't go on Twitter or I'll turn my notifications off. But in essence, you know, people watch sport differently now, don't they? They want to have, yeah. you know, different apps open. They want to have Twitter open. It's a two-screen experience. Um, an interesting story with that um, delay is that Optus is actually, believe it or not, at the cutting edge of, of how short that delay is. Um, I've only learned in the last couple of months, actually, the worldwide average or industry standard for a delay over sort of digital streaming platform is actually about 45 to 50 seconds. Um, and we've got it down to 25 to 30, um, and on some platforms even less than that. So uh, I know a lot of work's gone in from some of the, you know, the, the boffins here who, um, you know, operate in a completely um, foreign sort of uh, field to me, but I know how hard they work on getting that down. Um, but I guess that's one of those stories. It's hard to tell as a, as a good news story because the expectation of the viewer has to be that there's no delay at all. Mm. Um, so that will continue to come down, I'm pretty confident. It's just basically the essence of what we're offering, which is digital streaming, like mm. over over the internet, you know, be it on TV, tablet, phone, whatever. Um, it's just where the technology is at. Interestingly, if you, if you look at... I won't name any apps or name any companies, but if you look at some of the streaming offered, the live streaming offered on other digital apps in Australia, you'll find that they are well over a minute. Um, some of them, and uh, one in particular, is a couple of minutes behind, but because of the fact that, you know, it's also offered on free-to-air and, and people accept that if they're watching it on phones, it's because they're out and about as opposed to the primary option of on TV, um, that delay isn't as much in the spotlight. Whereas for us, you're always going to have um, a bit of a delay. So it's not ideal. Um, ultimately, Tony, I'll admit that, that um, you know, we all want to have things instantaneous and, and up-to-date, but I think you'll see that evolve over time to where 
uh, it becomes second nature and it won't become so much of an issue. And when you look at uh, consumers' habits and you, you talk about small screen experience over the big screen experience, so more and more people are wanting to watch it on the go or, or literally can't be in front of the, the big screen. Uh, I know with the, the Telstra, as an example, with AFL and, and NRL rights, uh, the numbers there have been growing exponentially over the last few years, over a million uh, now watching uh, AFL and, and NRL games per season on, on the small screen. So no doubt that's a big part of of uh, the Opta strategy and uh, on EPL. Which yeah, massively. It's, it's kind of, you know, I think you, you tailor a lot of what you make as well and, and how you, you tailor even things like highlights and, and goal clips and whatnot. You tailor it to that small screen while always kind of thinking, you know, you look, look after the audience on the big screen as well because, you know, we see a lot of the numbers of when people are watching, you know, it's in commute times and lunch times when they're at work or school if they're allowed to have their phone at school. Um, you know, being watch, watching when they have a spare five minutes because you can consume the Premier League in bite-sized chunks as well as the 90 minutes. So, um, you know, it's about making sure that it's not one size fits all. It's that one size fits, um, you know, different sizes fit everything in the sense that you can cut something for short form on phones and you can also do feature-based stuff for the big screen. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a fun jigsaw puzzle. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, Russia. Uh, you, I've, I was quite envious of seeing you, uh, following you on uh, Instagram and uh, on Twitter, seeing your uh, trip to, to Russia recently. You've, you've gone over there to do a scouting mission, obviously a big part of uh, what's coming up for, for you this year uh, and uh, the, the broadcast of uh, what you'll be bringing back to people in Australia. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I've, I'd never been to Russia before and going over for the draw and just experiencing a little bit of what Moscow's about and, and getting a bit of a taster of what the World Cup might feel like and how successful it might be. I actually feel like it will, will go really well um, from an operational point of view. I mean, Russia's a fascinating country. They want it to go really well. I don't think Uncle Vlad will let it uh, fail. I think uh, Vladimir Putin will make sure that everything runs pretty smoothly, so it looks quite good. Um, but, you know, I think from, from our perspective as well, Optus Sport, the first time that We've done a World Cup and having to broadcast all 64 games live is, um, is a big undertaking. So, um, you know, we're trying to, to make sure what we offer um, the viewer and the customer is very different to what they've had before because um, as we've been speaking about the different platforms and different viewing habits and, and how people might watch, you know, basically we want to make um, a, a scenario where people can watch whatever they want, however they want, wherever. Um, and, you know, some of the time zones in Russia aren't particularly great. Um, you know, some of the games, they're either on at sort of 10 at night, 1 in the morning or 4 in the morning. So I think then more than ever, you know, the ability to wake up and on the commute on the way to work or having a lie-in in bed, being able to watch a game as live when it suits you will be will be pretty massive and something that won't have been experienced before in a World Cup. So... Um, hopefully we can do a good job on that, and I'm pretty confident we can. We're sort of uh, in the process of finalising our shows and our talent. I'm pretty excited, actually, about some of the people that um, the viewers will see on Optus Sport um, during the World Cup, and, and hopefully the Aussies can uh, yeah, really kind of rise to the challenge of what is a pretty difficult group, I'd imagine. Do you need anyone to carry your bags? Sounds like Tony. Tony's volunteering. Yeah, I've, got nothing, I've got nothing else to do. But uh, no, I think. Done, uh, PP, you're in. I mean, well done, well done. But um, no, that's uh, that's exciting, and um, that's uh, that's great. I need to get myself. What about Kazan? Did you manage to get to where the Socceroos will be based, or what have you heard about where where the Socceroos will be based? Because they played their first game there. Yeah, I, I've only heard good things. Uh, the crew we had that went to the Confederations Cup uh, last year said good things about Kazan and, and basically I know the Aussie camp were cheering when the first game was there because their camp's there and 
you know, they won't be moving around. There are other teams as well, other nations that are based at Kazan, which means that, you know, they can organise friendlies against high-quality opposition in the days leading up if that's a path they want to go down and the new manager wants to do that. Um, so operationally, like logistically, I know that the Aussies were very happy with that being in Kazan. I suppose the uh, the only negative thing is that it's against France and we don't want to start the tournament like we did in 2010 against Germany when you lose and you cop four goal difference against you as well. So... Um, I've got, I've had heard good things actually about all the Aussie venues. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Sochi's a good one as well um, in terms of the venues. Actually, all of them. I, I managed to do a tour, um, go around and have a look at the Luzhniki Stadium, which is where the final will be played and the opening match as well. And that place is unbelievable. Um, and I think all the stadiums, especially St Petersburg as well, will be. They're basically like massive. Um, you know, like NASA built them essentially. They're like space shuttles. So I think it'll be really good from that perspective. Yeah, designed uh, unbelievable architecture. Uh, a lot of them are new. And if you look at uh, the, the World Cup site and you look at all the new stadiums, uh, some of them are still under construction. Uh, they they are The cost of those stadiums to build them is extraordinary, as in how little it costs to build them. Obviously, the labour is not as expensive as it is here. We talk about... Uh, knocking over Allianz Stadium and uh, ANZ and spending $2 billion. They're building these stadia for $200 million uh, mm. a pop. So uh, it just goes to show it can be done. Yeah, that's, um, it's going to be... And it's not far away, is it? It's, uh, what, less than six months? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's creeping up. And, and certainly in here, it's all hands to the pump trying to make sure that uh, we're all good to go. And I know with the... Um, you know, with the stadiums, a big fear. I, I think FIFA will, will try to make sure that everything's in order after the Brazilian debacle. I mean, when we played um, Spain, I remember walking into the stadium over there in uh, in Brazil. What city was that in? Was that in uh, Curitiba? Um, might have been Curitiba. And mm. we walked in, and basically the front facade of the stadium was completely gutted. It hadn't been finished. And, of course, the TV cameras don't show that. And the last thing FIFA would want would be another scenario like that. So I think they've um, hounded the Russians uh, pretty hard on the stadium. Well, we thank you. Oh, oh, just before we go, Tony's got another question for you. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, did, uh, did Optus Sports get involved in the um, uh, rights for the A-League? Uh, in terms of an actual bid, I, I don't believe so. I, I, I'd be speaking out of turn if I um, mm. made it sound like I knew exactly the finer workings of it, Tony. But I believe there were discussions at a uh, high level. There was a, certainly an appetite to to look into it and see what might um, might work. It would have made sense for Optus, I think, just uh, sort of creating out and building out a local sport as well as having that football presence grow. But um, I don't believe it went beyond sort of initial inquiries and just having a yard with uh, with the FSA. So it um, would have been interesting to see how it went. I think that in many ways will be a big test for Optus sport um, and the wider Optus will be, you know, it's one thing going into a sport like the Premier League, which is, let's face it, is relatively niche because you have to watch it at odd, weird times of the day. Mm. Um, going into the Australian market will, will be a big test, and I expect at some point it will happen. Optus will do it, and by that stage it might be far more normalised. But, yeah, I'm not too sure what it would have been like to get the A-League back then. What do you think, Tony? Oh, I think it would have been uh, would have been great. I mean, it, uh, you're, one one thing is is that it's uh, in our time zone, etc., and... Um, but uh, you know, maybe they're testing the waters with the, with the Premier League and the World Cup and then who knows the next uh, round of rights. Yeah, exactly. Rich, thanks very much. I won't comment on that one for obvious reasons. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> we thanks for, thank you for joining us and uh, all the best uh, with your preparations for the World Cup and, and the remainder of the English Premier League season. Good on you guys. Good to chat as always. Richard thanks, Rich. Bayless joining us uh, from Optus Sport. Here comes the money. Here we go.
Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the Football Bosses here on FNR with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata. We hope you've enjoyed uh, tonight's show. Uh, great chat with uh, Tony Sage earlier. If you missed it, extraordinary uh, news coming out of uh, Perth Glory, Tony. Tony Sage revealed to us that he had agreement from the FFA to take a game, Perth Glory home game next year abroad, as long as they can find someone to play, someone to agree to it. Well, I mean, it'll be easier just... Um, you know, Give them some money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Full expenses are, are, are paid for, then uh, then why not? I think it's a great idea. It's... Uh, you know, it you know it needs something, and um, you know something like this. Um, well, and next year, as as we were discussing, next year it, it's it's looking like it's too late to expand. You know, you can't get a team up and running from from this point on uh, to start in October. So we're going to need some innovation next year to to re- retain interest in the competition, whether that be marquee players or a marquee fund, which the FFA scrapped this year, or something interesting like this, bring some uh, games overseas. Or, uh, as Tony was suggesting, perhaps an idea for expansion is uh, moving abroad. And uh, his suggestion was around uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong. Uh, his initial thoughts are that uh, there is some interest from those markets to, to play in this competition. Yeah, I think there's a couple of hurdles there. One is the local associations and the other one is AFC, you know, Lot, you know, maybe at a low level they might be here, yeah, but uh, I think at a high level uh, might be a bit difficult. But um, you know, you need to throw these ideas around and um, you know improve the uh, the the game. And um, you're right, you know, expansion won't happen until 1920. So we've got uh, rest of this season, but this season will hot up. I mean, we're we're halfway through, um, you know, the run leading to the finals. But you know, the way it's going. The, the final six, Michael, could be set in the next few weeks. Yeah, and it's looking increasingly like uh, Sydney FC, Newcastle will will finish in the top two spots, and then Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City are, are starting to to play some good football. And, and Wanderers and and Western Sydney. So you know they're they're all big clubs, uh, and uh, having those the, those big clubs in in the finals uh, will make things really interesting come finals time. Yeah, it's um, you know twelve game twelve rounds to go. I think um, you know it's. Uh, a lot, lot to play for. Before we go, I want to touch on the Socceroos coach. Still no news out of FFA headquarters on that, but names continue to emerge. And uh, what has become increasingly clear is this job is a coveted one. It, it might sound obvious, but some big names have put their name forward uh, for this job. To be coaching at a World Cup is is an opportunity for coaches to to get themselves back in the spotlight to uh, reignite their careers. The latest name that emerged today, which excited me, was Roberto Mancini, uh, uh, who said he's interested in the job and uh, he's currently coaching in Russia and uh, he's not happy over there. So this could be uh, a huge coup for the Socceroos should they be able to attract someone like the former Manchester City and and Inter Milan manager who uh, has great pedigree. Do you reckon you'll come for a um, million dollars uh, Aussie gross? Well, I don't think tax? I don't think the money is is the issue. If he's coaching in Russia, he's earning a lot of money. Mm. <laughs> I, I think it's the opportunity to coach at a World Cup and uh, and to uh, yet again uh, prove that he can he can do it on the biggest stage. Well, that's that's the the issue. The issue is: do you get someone like that in and out? They just use the Socceroos as a, as a platform to to launch, or do you get someone in? 
to build, go through the World Cup, give them that, that opportunity and then build for the next um, Asia Cup and then the, the next World Cup. And that's something that uh, I suppose Luke Castley, who we had on the show uh, about a month ago, Mark Bresciano, uh, Schwarzer, Mark Schwarzer as well, um, and the whole FFA board to, uh, to decide. So... Um, yep, a lot of big names, and the FFA really hasn't had to go out. They've come to uh, to the FFA. Um, but it's your view that we should go with someone like Graham Arnold for, for the long-term uh, good of the game? Well, I'm not saying it should be Arnie, but I say I think it should. someone should take him all the way through. I mean, we've got Norway coming up. Um, Talk of Colombia as well. Yeah, because, you know, exactly. So, yeah, something needs, you know, a coach needs to be appointed, and I'm sure that, FFA know that and uh, and we'll do their the due diligence and um, we'll see what happens. They need to do it quickly. Tony, it's uh, been great to, as always to have you in and, and we look forward to doing it again or again next week. Thanks to our guests, uh, Tony Sage from Perth Glory, the chairman of the Perth Glory Football Club and Richard Bayless from Optus Sports and uh, we thank you for listening in. Uh, we'll do it all again next week. You've been listening to the Football Bosses here on FNR, Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata. It's goodbye for now.